This podcast is proudly sponsored by the Stillbirth Foundation Australia and Community Care Kitchen. The content shared in this podcast represents the views of the Still Nest and our guests and may not specifically reflect the views of these organisations. Please seek professional medical advice for any clinical circumstances that may arise. Welcome to the Stillness Podcast, a place of solace for bereaved parents and their communities. I'm Dr. Fatima El Assad, a researcher and a bereaved parent. Losing a child can make you question everything your identity, your faith, and your place in the world. On this show, we will explore the complexities of child loss particularly within culturally and linguistically diverse communities. I'd like to hold space for bereaved parents to be seen, heard and understood. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Peace and God's mercy and blessings be upon you. As with all our episodes, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the Eora Nation and the ongoing custodianship. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging, and we acknowledge that this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. In today's episode, we'll be hearing about a story about multiple stillbirths and pregnancy after loss. If you're triggered by our conversation, I've linked some resources in the show notes for you. We are discussing difficult experiences, often unheard, so please take the time to check in with yourself and get the help you need. Today we're joined by a passionate fitness owner, operator and instructor at Hit 'Em Up Fitness in southwestern Sydney, who has had quite the journey bringing into the world two beautiful boys. Welcome to the Still Nest, Ulla. Thank you for having me. So Ulla, I just want to start the podcast by just getting a bit of background about who you are and who makes up your family. Would you like to introduce yourself? I'm Ulla, Ulla Awad. I'm married with two beautiful boys. Um, I've been married for 27 years now. I've got a 26-year-old boy, a 17-year-old boy. Um, Very successful, both boys, alhamdulillah. Um, I started, I worked in childcare at first, would you believe it? <laughs> I do believe it actually, you're very, very maternal. Yeah, so I did childcare for a couple of years, then um, I put on a fair bit of weight and then I went through a weight loss journey and I just recently opened up my own gym about five years ago through putting on the weight. I've had several pregnancies And obviously, you know, when someone goes through something in life, there's a reason for it. Um, But I'll talk about more about that as we go along. So I had um, my son, Max. I was married 17. I had Max at 18. Mind you, he was so little. Normal pregnancy, nothing wrong. I was 18, bounced back so quickly. Then I decided a couple of years later, we decided, you know what, we're going to have another one. And I fell pregnant. Fine, all good. Went to the doctor, all good. 
went to do an ultrasound at that time. I think I was like 21 weeks pregnant, 22 weeks. And then they said to me, oh, my God, um, are you alone? And I'm like, yes. They're like, oh, there's no heartbeat. And I'm like, oh, okay. But it's saying to me that the bag has grown but the baby was dead in my stomach. I'm like, really? No, how did I go through that? Like, you, you know, no movement, nothing. But anyway, then they went like, sorry, you can't leave the, we're going to take you straight across the road. You're going to go in, you're going to get a curette. We're going to, they explained everything to me. So, wow, like that was like a big shock, you know. So, but I actually got very, very sick straight after. I got like an infection because the baby was had been in there for a long time. So I stayed in the hospital, I think it was like for three, four days after. They treat you with antibiotics, whatever. You know, at that time, I, I don't know, I think it was like our parents kind of made us, don't worry about it, you'll be okay, you have another one. Yeah, and, and you were in your early 20s, I'm assuming, right? Yeah. So the yeah, attitude yeah. would have been like, oh, you're so young, you know, don't worry about it. Yeah, it's all right. Like, you know, you're. But yeah. how, did, how did that land with you when people were saying that, though, to you? I don't know. I just went, yeah, okay. I just, you want to have a baby. After this experience, Ulla lost another baby, which she found devastating. She dealt with the grief through emotional eating. I asked if she had employed any other strategies to help her through this time. Our parents never said to us, go to a psychologist, oh, you're crazy. But no, I'm not. Now I say, no, it's not crazy. You need to see someone. You need to talk to someone. And then it's amazing, though, you see people and you talk to people and like, oh, my God, I've been through the same thing. I'm like, wow, as soon as you see that connection with that person, you just want to talk about it because that person's been through that emotion like you. But I don't know if our parents kind of, directed us or the doctors there and then said, you know, when you need to see a psychiatrist or we maybe thought that it was a crazy, but it's really not. You really need to talk to someone. So at that time, I don't know, maybe because we were younger, I don't know, I don't know, our parents were kind of a bit weird. (laughs) No, but I know what you mean. It's that stigma around um, seeing a healthcare professional in the mental health space, right? They're like, if you go there... Does that mean you're going to be diagnosed with something really serious? But really, you've had two losses on the back of each other. You know, you need some support. And sometimes, you know, you do need a professional to be able to be that sounding board and to help guide you through that grief and that emotion and to work through it. And I guess that's why you had the eating, you know, that was your little. Yeah, that was my, that was my outlet, my food. So that was my way of kind of depression but I was eating they call it depressed eating but I didn't know I was doing that then when I had um I'd waited for a year I fell pregnant with my daughter so I was at the time when I fell pregnant with my daughter the hospital was a bit more curious about I've had two losses they wanted to keep um checking up on like you needed to come every three, four days. And then one day I was at my sister's mother-in-law's house. We were having like a brunch thing. And I just said to my sister, man, my back's killing me. She's like, why? What's wrong? Mind you, my sister was pregnant at the time with me. And I'm like, 
my back, I don't know what's wrong. Anyway, I got into the bathroom and I just see like green water and I'm like, I call my sister, I go, is this normal? Then my sister looked at me, she's like, no, this is not normal. Uh, you're going straight to hospital. And I'm like, are you sure, man? Are you serious? I'm going to have another one? She's like, but that's not normal. So by then I went to the hospital. This is so hard to hear. Sorry. I'm so sorry. It must be so hard for you to even say it. Sorry. And I remember in the labour room I had to looked at my auntie. My sister was with me and my auntie and I'm like, my back is killing me. And I was getting contractions in my heart at the time. And I just didn't want to push her out. Then I had her and I remember the labour room was full of doctors. She had like six doctors for her, four doctors for me because I was getting contractions constantly in my heart. And um, they just, I had her and they took her and they and they went. And then. Did you get to see her? Yeah, um, no. At the time, no, they just took her away. But she came down, she was crying and shaking like a normal baby. But she just popped out. It was just amazing how so small and they just, your body, when your body tells you, you're going to have this baby. It's amazing how it works, your body works. When you're in labour, your body, you can't stop what's happening. It's just going to go through it. But then um, day one, I think that day I went to see her, she was just so tiny, so brittle. They had covered her in a plastic bag. That's I don't know what they did, kind of do that for neonatals because they're infections, I think. And, you know, you, at the time they're like, oh, you know, there's a big chance she's a girl. You know, you said that you're 24 weeks pregnant but she's weighing at 29 weeks. Are you sure you had not your dates wrong? And I'm like, no. So they gave you a bit of hope, hey? Yeah, which I suppose like at that time, yeah, the time when you kind of go through that, it's just whatever you get off them is you want to hear that it's okay, she's going to be okay. And I think day one when they turned around and um, the doctor came up to me, he goes, listen, we have to tell you this because this is what we do. She's 24 weeks. Do you want to keep her or do you want to let her go? At that time, it was like, what? Hello? No. What are you doing? What are you saying? What do you mean do I want to keep her? Of course I want to keep her. If there's any chance, like, yes, whatever you do, just try and help her. I just don't want her to suffer. This was day one. I think day two, she had like multiple seizures and then blood pressure dropped, then blood transfusions and like it's amazing. One drop of blood make a big difference in the way the colour of her skin. Then the nurses, they were amazing. They would write in her diaries. Just the thing, I just didn't want her to suffer. Like as she was having a seizure, I just didn't, you can see it on the screen happening, the seizure happening. And you're like, please, God. I just didn't want her to feel pain. 
think day three, she went to a down floor fall really badly. By then, the doctors came up to us, look, we've done another brain X-ray. She's got stage three um, brain bleeds. And I think day four, it just got worse. But it's amazing. The night before she died, they call you down. They're like, look, she's on her last, come down. And I'm like, okay, all right, we're freaking out because we were still there in the hospital. Okay, we go down there and it's amazing. They just said, do you want to hold her? And I'm like, yeah, okay. As soon as I held her, her blood pressure went up, her vitals went up, nothing wrong. You would say, wow, wow, this baby is like nothing wrong. But you know like when they give you even a 2% chance of a child surviving, you don't care. You just don't care. You just want them to live. Anyway, day four, and that's when the doctor turned around and said, look, we're going to do a a scan for her head and you have to make a decision. And I'm like, I'm not making that decision. You need to make that decision. I'm, I can't make that decision. I can't take off the machines. I'm not making that decisions. And that puts them in a bad position because I turned around and said, if that was your child, what would you do? I can't kill my child. I, I don't know. How, you can't. There's no way in the world. Then he turned around and said, okay, leave it with me. And it got to, it took him a good eight, nine hours and he came back. He goes, look, there's no chance of survival. She's day four, stage four brain bleeds. We are not going to keep her. We're actually going to take her off the machines. But at the time, but I don't know how our parents think, oh, yeah, mum, like my mum walked into the labour room, yeah, and me, like in Arabic, yeah, mum, you know, um, she's disabled. And I'm like, and? what? God sent me a disabled child. What do you want me to do? Mm. I'm meant to raise this child. It's Yes, she's disabled, but I'm going to keep yeah. her. Even if she's disabled, I don't care. So some of the comments were very unhelpful. Yeah, I was just wanted, I was telling myself, get your mum out of the room. I'm going to kill her. Like they just don't think about what they say because they don't look at your emotions. Like are you kidding me? This is a child that God's given me. Yeah. I don't care what anyone else makes that decision. My decision is. If God's given me this child, there's 1% chance of her taking a breath of air. I'm going to take it and go and I'm going to not look back. This is my child. So, yeah, so people are throwing comments, you know, what's this person? I don't care, guys. Like I care about my daughter at the time. Did you Did you want to hear any comments or was it all very unsolicited? You know, because really it's just you and Khaled, right? You and your husband. Yeah, but it, it, we're talking about a <laughs> Lebanese Yeah, home I understand. Where everyone comes down, the in-laws come down, the, the mom, the, the aunties, and they're all trying to support you. But in that support is like words are thrown and like at the time now that I think about it, like look at my mom and I'm like, why would you say yeah. that? What's wrong with you guys? Do you not think about like like how life is? This is life. There's people out there that have got disabled kids, mate. Hi, I've got high respect for those people. 
They've taken their child in as God sent them. What do we do? You can't get rid of them. This is what God's plan. So, yeah, so Khaled would say to me, babe, just be patient. Okay, Khaled, get them out of the room. I don't want any of them here. Every single one is like, babe, please stop. So a lot of them, they're well-meaning, right, but their words are so misplaced and they're so hurtful. And even now, like, all you know, this this happened years ago and it still reverberates in your mind some of those comments from some of the closest people to you because they're just so misguided. I think, I think, the way they were raised, they were raised very harsh. Like I respect my parents as in they came into this country, they had nothing, um, they bought houses from them, not able to talk English, to learn the language, speak English, read and write. Like I respect that they've come from a foreign, like from a country where, so they've kind of got more of a tough, tough kind of way of saying it. But, yeah, I don't. I feel like. Now we're more emotional. Like I've got my daughter-in-law. If touch wood, nothing ever happens to anything like that to her. Nobody goes through what I went through. Um, I just would stand back and just let her be because, you know, just it's that's private, that's personal. Um, Just listen. Just it's okay for them to have emotion. It's okay for them to go off. They're allowed to. They're going through a tough time in their life like let them be um so in that sense I think you learn about a person anyway um I think it took her 15 minutes to pass as soon as they took off the umbilical cords and all the machines and she passed in my hands and like at the end of the day you learn um it's life, I suppose. And, yeah, then we kind of, um, the hospital at the time um, wanted to keep her till Monday and I kind of freaked out because she died. Like, why do you want to keep her till Monday? You know what she died of. And I remember the doctor goes to me, look, we'll give it to you, but straight, she needs to be buried straight away. What was that process like? What did you have to do? They wanted me, at the time, they wanted me to wait till Monday and I'm like, please, please, I can't wait till Monday. I just wanted to go, I just wanted to be over. You just wanted that process of going through that, the ugly part of passing. So it happened quite quickly. She died at 11.30. They buried her at 12.30. That's how quick. I remember my uncle going to me, we don't need no machines. Don't worry about machines. We'll dig the grave. And he would come up to me, don't cry. She's... (laughs) Sorry. She's an angel in heaven. Stop crying. Don't cry, please. And he would wipe down my tears. This is my uncle. He was there. So he he was a great support, this uncle that I had. And, um, yeah, he made everything happen. Within an hour, 
it went so quick. Were you there for the burial yourself or just? I was there but I was just away from everything and, yeah, I was there but. You couldn't be closer. You just wanted to stay back a bit, yeah? Yeah. Just let her dad do what he needs to do as a dad and her brother. Yeah, so she had a big brother and her dad lowering her in. Yeah, so it was it was good. It's not a good experience, but it was nice to have him involved. Yeah, so having an older sibling involved, I know. So then you had the three days, and it's really important just to talk about the three days because Islamically that's the sort of time frame that we use for the like the active mourning or the communal mourning, right, from all your family and friends and relatives and anyone that was part of the community, um, whether they know you or they don't, right? And that was held at your mum's house, you're saying? That was held at my mum's house, yeah. Yeah, and so that's like an open-door policy kind of thing, scenario for your family? Yeah. Yeah. So how did you find that just immediately after? I didn't want to see anyone. I didn't want, like... Like I would go into the room and I would go to my husband, I was just pregnant. Like she was just moving. Like how does that happen? But everyone's outside knocking on the door. Are you coming out? I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, give me a moment. But, yeah, Yeah. it was, yeah. And my sister would say, like, Ola, if you want to go home, go home. Yeah. Go home. So she was an advocate for you to do what you needed to do for yourself. Yeah, yeah. My sister and my auntie at the time, I have to admit, but just in, in, People just don't understand how a woman's going through, she just went through a major labour, buried her child and just, you know, like they don't know, I think it's they don't know what to say or they say the wrong things or they don't know where to step back. Like you would go outside and everyone's having conversation. You're like, are you, these people kidding Yeah, me? at my daughter's yeah, at my funeral, daughter. yeah. Go home. Yeah, I I understand that feeling (laughs) so much, unfortunately. So after the three days, you left your mum's place, right, and that's when you're saying the real grief hit you. Yeah, that's when it hits you, yeah. My sister had come home and kind of packed her clothes up and things, little things, um, little things, but I had not bought a lot of stuff. But she had kind of packed things up. But you're going through so much for the, remember, my sister's pregnant at this time. So I I kind of went through that part and then my sister went into labour. Ulla's sister gave birth to a healthy baby girl, alhamdulillah. Ulla was happy to be there for her birth and ecstatic to welcome her niece. But she felt the absence of her own baby. I asked how long it was until she fell pregnant again. So the hospital requested after 40 days me do a special blood test and that blood test will kind of um, show what why am I going through this but they wanted to wait till 40 days and apparently I get a bacteria infection and it hits the baby's sac at 20 weeks and that's when it wants to kind of get rid of the pregnancy. So in a way, um, her having her was a miracle. I had Noah because I hit 20 weeks with Noah. I fell pregnant with Noah. I think it was like uh, six months later I was pregnant. Um, 
with Noah after her. I just went, if God, mind you, Khaled was doing it very tough at the time because it was his girl, she was born. And then I looked at him, I said, Khaled, things happen in life for a reason. You can't look at the past, Khalas, let's learn and move on. And at then the doctor goes to me, look, we have to do a blood test. I did a blood test and I ended up having this bacteria. Anyway, so when I was pregnant with Noah, they found out 12 weeks pregnant. Westmead said to me, we want you to come every second day up to the hospital. So they were checking my cervix and I had five, of, five centimetres of cervix. Then I got to 20 weeks and then I lost cervix. I got to from five centimetres to 2.5 centimetres. They were like, okay, we're going to send you back home but we'll see you in a week. That week I went in. I think it was on a Friday. I went in for my checkup. They said, don't get off the chair. You're one centimetre dilated. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? And um, I was in hospital for three months, piling on the weight, couldn't get out of bed. But that was traumatic, just being in the hospital for three months on your back. Anyway, so then I had a massive, massive migraine come on and the doctor looked at me and she's like, we're not going to, you're 38 weeks, we're going to deliver you. Like, really? Is that, are you sure? She's like, your blood pressure's playing up. We're going to induce you. And half an hour later, Noah was born. But if I tell you that was traumatic, I saw Noah dead. My auntie's like, oh, my God, you got a puppy boy. He's crying. And I'm like, no, he's not. He's dead. She's like, he's crying. But what's wrong with you? Look at him. My sister would say, Ula, he's, oh, you've got a child. And I'm like, no, he's a dead baby. I would look down. And I'm like, he's dead. He's not crying. My sister looked at me. She said, I'm going to slap you out. And this is in the labour room. <laughs> the passion, huh? The passion from our families is, is very unique. But I couldn't believe that he was alive. Yeah, so it was like. He's alive, Ula. So I did not think at the time I've got a real child. So alhamdulillah, within God's will at the end of the day, um, yeah, he was normal, nothing wrong with him, all good, alhamdulillah. Um, but, yeah, so then I had Noah. But he, he, he was a good baby. But, yeah, you know, in life, life teaches you. So how did this um how did this all play into your own journey of transforming in terms of your weight loss? How I became a trainer is when I had my youngest, I decided to go through my weight loss journey. I lost sixty four kilos naturally. Took me about five years, but you don't realize there's a reason why you've put on that weight. And then when you look back now, you think, wow, like there's a, there is a reason why people go through so much. And it teaches you on who you are, what you do, life, people, experience. It's just, it's general life. But, you know, you go through something really hard to get it, to get where you want to go. And I think it's never given on a silver platter. You kind of have to go through those emotions, go through that weight loss, go through whatever you're going through. Mind you, I had 
perfect support from my husband. He used to always say, don't ever tell, don't ever say, I told you to lose weight. You did it for yourself, you know. He always kind of never, ever said I was big. I hate using the word fat because it's just don't judge people because there's a reason on why that person is like that. Get to know that person before you judge. Yes, you know, they're they're going through something, so don't judge them. Ask, are you okay? Is there something wrong? But when people come to my gym, the first thing, first thing, I get to know that client, get to know what their background is, why they're like that, you know. They might not say anything. And this is probably why that makes you such an amazing trainer because you are actually looking at teasing out Thank you. the underlying reasons why somebody is going through, you know, a, a fitness journey. hundred percent. Did your faith play a role at all in the way you healed as well? Look, I look at it in a way I always say God sends you things in life to see what you're going to do with them and how you're going to deal with them. And I've been through that many pregnancies and kind of really can't say stillbirths because some of them weren't and some of them were, but that part of it, and I think if I didn't have my daughter, I would not have Noah. They picked up what I have and they treated me to have Noah. So in that sense, yes, it does. Your faith does play a big role. Life, there's a reason for everything. Thank you for being so raw and, and, and honest in your experiences. And, you know, I really do hope that if anyone's listening, you know, they do find a bit of comfort in hearing some of the stories that um, we've shared today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Stillness Podcast. Some of the topics raised in this show can be difficult. If it has left you with any questions, please message me on Instagram at thestillnest.au. Please subscribe, share, rate and review this podcast. It means so much to be able to share these stories. This podcast is produced, edited and recorded by Corey Green of Transducer Audio. And now I'll leave you with a little prayer. Inna lillah wa inna ilayhi raji'oon. Allahumma ajurni fi musibati wa li khayran minha. We belong to Allah and to him we shall return. O oh Allah, recompense me for my affliction and give me something better. Take care.